So let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We know that the words of man are a waste of time, but the word of God transforms lives. So make us attentive. May your Holy Spirit speak to every heart. If there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. For those who need to be encouraged, may you encourage us. For those of us who may need to be corrected, may you bring correction. Lord, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So, Chronicles, we know the first nine chapters were a genealogy. Uh, Chronicles is uh, the history of, mainly First Chronicles is the history of King David. And he's giving them a, a line, the people that are getting this letter have been in bondage, been in captured for over 70 years, and now they're going to be heading back to the land of promise. And so they're getting an education, getting a preparation as they go back to Jerusalem of all the things that God had already done there. Now, if you were here last week, you saw that David had finally been anointed king of Israel. He was initially anointed king when he was a teenager, probably about 13 years old. But he doesn't actually become king for another couple of decades because he's on the run from King Saul, even after he slayed Goliath, even after he'd been used mightily, Saul, who was walking in his flesh, wanted him dead. So he was an army, he has an army of mighty warriors at this point. He's been anointed king. Israel's finally being brought back together into one piece. For seven and a half years, he ruled over just Judah. Now he's ruling over all of Israel. The people celebrated his uh, being anointed as king with a three-day feast. That's how we, how we ended up last week. And there was great joy in Israel. So David, after decades of waiting since being anointed by Samuel, being on the run from King Saul, who was obsessed with killing him, after seven and a half years of ruling over only Judah, now finally is sitting on the throne promised by God decades earlier. We talked about this last week, that God often, you know, you have to wait upon the Lord. God may move on your heart and give you a desire for something, and you may have to wait for God's perfect timing. So now he's finally sitting on that throne, and David has been fearlessly faithful at times. He was a man of worship. He would worship while he was watching the sheep when nobody was watching. He was a faithful man and a fearless man. I mean, he not only slayed Goliath, but he killed lions and bears as he was watching over the sheep. He was victorious over God's enemies. They sing songs about him. Saul has slayed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. We also, David wasn't perfect because when he was running from his life from Saul, he actually had a time where he went and he lived amongst the Philistines. The Philistines, the most famous of the Philistines was Goliath, the man he had killed. This was the enemy. And so like any godly man or woman, even those who walk with the Lord, we can have times where we become fearful, that we can have times where we become faithless. We saw that in King David. He fled into the land of the Philistines. He offered even to fight alongside the Philistines against Israel. So now he's the king. He's God's chosen man to lead God's people. What will David's first actions be? I kind of thought of it this way. Can you imagine if you got appointed the president of the United States of this country tomorrow? You would have a whole lot of work to do. Amen? And, and there'd be so many things you need to put in place like right away. Well, David's taking over Jerusalem and Jerusalem's been a mess. They've had King Saul. Israel's been a mess. They have the Philistines now. Are, they have enemies all around them. He's surrounded by enemies. The, the king himself, they had not, they have walked away from the word of God. As we'll see tonight, the Ark of the Covenant has been out of their reach for a hundred years. 
Since before the time of Saul, the Ark of the Covenant was not even used in, in their act of worship. The enemies, again, the, the roads needed to be rebuilt. Walls needed to be rebuilt. City needed to be restored. David, you're the king. Go. And so we're going to see tonight him starting to make some decisions. And you know what? One of the things I get the most questions about as a pastor, people call me for prayer, and I love when you do, and you all have my cell phone number, and if you don't, I'll give it to you before you leave. It's on our website. You can call me anytime. But one of the things, the biggest questions I get is, I have a decision to make, and I don't know what to do. Anybody ever been in that place? Okay, well, King David's in that place. And we're going to learn from King David's uh, mistakes, but also the choices that he makes as he makes decisions, again, hopefully being led by the Lord. So much to do. What would he do first? How would he respond? And so I've got the outline here. If you've got your outline, grab it. I tell the message, making decisions and making mistakes. You ever made a decision that was wrong? If you haven't, you're a liar. Amen. But the reality is we've all made decisions sometimes. And a lot of times because we'll move based on our feelings or we'll, we'll move based uh, because it's urgent and we'll just make a really quick decision. By the way, if I have to make a quick decision, the answer is always no. I don't let people do that to me. Amen. They try to pin you in the corner. Or they give you an ultimatum. The answer is always going to be no. We're going to wait upon the Lord. Amen. We're not going to be moved by our emotions. So I've got seven points here in these 14 verses, making decisions and making mistakes. First of all, stay teachable. You know, he's going to be the king now. No longer is Saul hanging over him. Or Ishbosheth, who took over after King Saul. He's gone. He's got the support of all of Israel. He's got his mighty men standing beside him. He's got mighty warriors on his side. So at this point, David can make decisions without fear of retribution. He's not afraid for his life. But you know what happens sometimes when we get positions, we get put in positions where we have ultimate authority like that? We can cease to be teachable. And as believers, we should always be teachable. As Christians, we never arrive. Amen? You hear me say it? We're justified at salvation, just as if we'd never sinned. But we're being sanctified, being made more into the image of our Savior, until the day we are glorified. This process is ongoing. So as believers, we must always stay teachable. Every once in a while, I'll get someone who will let me know, well, yeah, you know, I used to come to church, but, you know, I've read the whole Bible, so I don't need to come back. Exactly. I'm like, bro, it's, again, you hear me always say, it's not Moby Dick, it's the Bible, amen? It's the living, breathing word of God. We never get it down. I've been a pastor for 34 years, and I feel like I'm two inches deep in the ocean of my level of understanding of the whole counsel of God. So number one, stay teachable. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. That's another reason why you need Christian friends, amen? It's another reason why you need other people around you who love the Lord, because you don't want counsel from the world. You want counsel from Almighty God or people that are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, do the right things the right way. You know, as believers, we'll see it in tonight's text, that God not only cares what we do, but the heart with which we do it. You know, it's truth in love. Amen? It's not just you know, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That's why we must speak the truth in love. If I just love all over you, but not, don't love you enough to tell you the truth, that's hypocritical. But if I just tell you the truth and I don't have any love, that's brutal. And so we need the truth in love. And the Lord wants us not only to do the right thing, but to do it with the right heart or in the right way. Number three, respect the holiness of God. 
I'll tell you what, we need to talk more about the holiness of God. Amen? He is a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy, but he is also holy. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They're singing that around the throne in heaven right now. The angels are singing that right now. We must never lose sight of his holiness. Number four, don't be angry at what you don't understand. This is an easy one. This is one, I mean, easy for us to fall into. We, get, we often get angry when things don't go our way, and we often want to blame God. And we may not even do it out loud, but often we'll say, well, why would God let this happen? Why would, why would God put me through this? Why this difficulty in my life? We need to not get angry about what we don't understand. What we need to do instead is, is trust the character of God. Our God is a loving God. He loves you more than you will ever understand. He knows what's best. He's faithful. Let's trust him. Number five, walk in faithful obedience, not fearful rebellion. Obedience is required for God's blessing. You've heard me say this before. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Now, obedience doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect because we know that's not the case. But the highest form of worship, it says in 1 Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The highest form of worship is to obey God. Now, I want to say this. Obeying, when you tell people that, sometimes they're like, oh man, he's a God full of rules. Let me just tell you right now, he gives us his word. Again, you've heard me say this. He's not, it's not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. Guys, he gives us the word of God to keep us from, not from fun, but from harm. Amen? We want to obey him. Number six, don't let difficult times drive you away from the Lord. Again, when, when in difficult times, you can run to him or you can run from him. Often people will say, why won't God deliver me from this? And why do I have this struggle? And why won't God take it away and sometimes it's not God that brought it there, it's the enemy. And when that happens, we need to run to the Lord, not from him. You know what the enemy wants you to do when you're going through a trial? Run away from God. I want to tell you, that's the worst thing we can do. And then finally, let God bless you. When God's word obey, is obeyed and his holiness is respected, again, praise God that blessings do follow. So, God, so David's first priority, here he is, he's the king. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? Look there at verse one. Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and hundreds and with every leader. So David has just become king. They just celebrated with a three-day feast. He now is ruling over all of Israel. Israel has been joined back together in one nation. This is before the time of uh, first and second kings. And it's all one nation. And now he's on the throne and now he has to make some decisions. And it would have been very easy because David's been waiting for this for decades. And he could have had a bunch of things on his mind that he wanted to do. And instead, what does he do? He calls for all the leaders and says, I want to get your counsel. Yes, I am the king that God has anointed to be in this position, but I also want to hear from you. I also want to seek the Lord with you. I want to seek God's plan. And I love this heart. So, it's an example we should all follow, is that we should seek godly counsel. That it's important that we don't just let our, our feelings overrun everything else. In a position of leadership, 
You're the boss on the job site. You're the husband in the marriage. You're the parents of the children. You're in a position of leadership or in government or your local church. It's so easy for us to put our faith in ourselves when as believers, we need to make God the priority and we need to seek his wisdom and his direction above all else. So the first thing is stay teachable. David took time to listen to godly counsel. And again, just because you're in charge doesn't mean you don't have to listen to advice. A lot of politicians can learn from that right about now. Amen? Need to listen to advice, godly advice. When you find yourself in a position where you are the one who's making the decision, like being a king, you still need to listen to the advice of others. We would be foolish if we didn't pay attention to good advice. It says in Proverbs, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. It says in Ecclesiastes, walk prudently when you go to the house of the Lord and draw near to here, then to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. The fool doesn't stop and think, hey, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I have many uh, people that I consider like fathers in the faith to me. The two pastors that I served under as a youth pastor, uh, several other pastors that are older, and I seek them for counsel. And I call them uh, constantly about different things in my life. They're the guys I would pick up the phone and call late at night when I was really struggling after my son went to heaven. And that continues to be a, a, a struggle. But you know, we need to stay teachable. And the Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. You don't have all the answers. You're not right about everything. Amen. And all of us are going to get some of our theology straightened out when we get to heaven. Amen. And so we want to turn to the one who is all-knowing, almighty, and all-powerful, and we want to walk in the counsel of many. So he goes to ask for advice. He went to other people that were experienced in making decisions because they were leaders. And I think there are a lot of people in our lives that we can draw upon for wisdom. Again, Parents are good. Now, my parents are in heaven. My dad was my first go-to for godly counsel. He was a pastor for 60 years, and to me, he was the wisest man I ever met in my life, and I would go to him for counsel. Well, he went to heaven. And now that my brother has gone to heaven uh, just a few weeks ago, I'm now the oldest person in my family, and now I'm the one that's getting called for counsel. I liked it when I could call somebody else. You know, it was a blessing. It's good to get counsel from several viewpoints, from several counselors. It says in Proverbs 11, where no counsel is, the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. It says in Proverbs 15, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. It says in Proverbs 20, every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice, make war. Again, not everything will come out in counseling sessions that David will have to be correct. Some of the decisions were good and some were going to be bad. See, what we do is we get godly counsel. We seek the Lord. We wait upon him. We spend time in his presence. We spend time in prayer. And then we move as the Lord moves us. If David made a mistake here, one thing we do see is he goes to all the leaders. He's going to say, if it feels good to you, look at verse two. David said to all the assembly, here he's got all these leaders. If it seems good to you, and if it is good, if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out 
to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel with them to the priests and the Levites who are in their cities and in their common lands that they may gather together to us. So here's what's happened. They've all been scattered. And now David's king. And now the nation has come back together as one. And here's what he says. Let's cry. If it seems a good idea to you, and if you feel like it's of the Lord, let's bring everyone together. Let's get everybody to come to Jerusalem. Let's bring everybody together to seek the Lord together, to hear from the Lord together. Again, to reestablish that we truly are just one nation. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of God will stand. And so he asked them, if this seems right to you, and if you feel like it's from the Lord. And I want to say this. Here's something that's absolutely key when you're seeking wisdom. God will never contradict his word. Amen? So the final court of authority is always the Bible. Because your feelings will lie to you sometimes. Amen? I just feel like the Lord's telling me to do that. But it's contrary to what it says right here, so no. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But that's why there's wisdom and counsel of many. He's going to these godly leaders and he's saying, look, if this seems good to you, and if you guys would agree and feel like this is of the Lord, then let's call and bring everyone together that we may minister to them. They want to be united together again as a nation. Our brothers who are left, it says there. This reflects the serious losses taken by Israel in their battles against the Philistines. Do you know that from 1010 BC to 1003 BC, there was a seven-year nonstop war with the Philistines that only happened because Saul, King Saul, if you'll remember, did not wait to make the sacrifices. He went out on his own. He was operating in the flesh. When David was fighting against the Philistines, the Philistines were running for their lives. And now they've encroached upon their territory. They're within their land. And now David's having to deal with it all these years later. So it's saying our brothers who are left, those who've been through the battle and are still here, let's gather them all together. Those who've been hurting and gone through difficulty, let's gather them all together. Now, certainly to a much, 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 much lesser extent. That's how I felt when COVID finally got some people opening their churches again. Amen. It's like people have been watching on live stream and hiding out in their houses, and now it's time for us to gather together again and worship the Lord corporately. Amen? Forsake not the gathering yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. David's heart was to restore, restore the children of Israel, uh, to unite them together again in worship and in submission to the Lord God Almighty. Again, you could take a million steps away from God, but praise, thankfully, it's only one step back. And then it says there, let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Now, if you don't know what the ark is, if the time you do, because I talk about it a lot, but the ark of the covenant. So it's, it's the box, not the boat. Amen. It's not Noah's ark. It's the ark of the covenant. Now, what's significant about the ark? Well, the ark was the only piece of furniture, the ark of the covenant, that was within the holy of holies in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And what it represented was the presence of Almighty God. When they traveled through the wilderness, they, the, the spirit of God, the presence of God would hover over the top of the holy of holies. 
When they were wandering, they'd come out in the morning and look up, and if the cloud was there, they would remain. If the cloud moved, they would move with it. At night, it was a pillar of fire. So they would always look up for the presence of God, and wherever God moved, they moved with it. And so the Ark of the Covenant, well, again, it's a picture of something far greater. What is in the Ark? There were three things in the Ark. There was a jar of manna, because Jesus is the bread of life. It's what they survived on in the wilderness. Aaron's rod, because he was the priest, and Jesus is the great high priest. And then it was the Ten Commandments, because Jesus is the Word, and he's the fulfillment of all of it. But what's amazing about this ark, it was made in such a way that God, the way God commanded it be made by Moses in those days, and the way it was moved was significant as well. So what happened is, you have the law of God, but it was covered by a lid. And what was that lid called? The mercy seat. Now, why is it called that? Because it's only by the covering of the law with the mercy of God can we be delivered from the law. Amen? The sin that, that comes from breaking the law. And what would happen is, if anybody moved the mercy seat and looked directly upon the law, what happened to them? They died. So we need the mercy of God, to because what does the law do? It reveals that we're sinners in need of a Savior. So on top of that mercy seat were two cherubim, also known as angels, and their wings touched in the middle. And what would happen on the day of Passover, or the uh, day of atonement, excuse me, they would come in and they would take the blood of the lamb and the high priest alone would go through that veil and he would be the only one that could enter in only one day a year and he would sprinkle the blood in the middle of this Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat. Now we know that that's a picture of the resurrection because when Jesus rose from the dead and when they ran into the tomb that morning, what did they see? An angel at the head, an angel at the foot, and blood sprinkled in the middle. So the ark was always pointing to the presence of God, but for me it also not only points to the cross, but his resurrection. Now, what had happened a hundred years earlier is because of the disobedience of the children of Israel and because uh, it was during the time of Eli, you guys remember Eli? He had, he had two sons. Anybody know what their names were? Nadab, Abihu. And guess what these guys did? First of all, they were having orgies in the, tabern- in the temple. That's not good. We don't want that. Amen? But here's what happened. They were fighting the Philistines. And they were losing the battle. And so they looked at the ark as a good luck charm. And so they took the ark with them out into battle to fight the Philistines, thinking that God would have to let them win if they took the ark with them. And they went out into battle, and because of the rebellion, not only did they not win, but the ark was captured by the Philistines, and they took it home with them. So now there was no way to have that in the holy place, the holy of holies, to make that sacrifice that was required on the Day of Atonement. Now, we know that the the Philistines thought they had won the battle. And I love this because God had a way of letting the Philistines know, you might have defeated my people. They only lost because they disobeyed me. It has nothing to do with you. But I'm just going to make sure you know that you will never win the battle over me, ever. So what did they do? They took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in the temple of their God by the name of Dagon. And they put the Ark, the ark in there and, and Dagon's on, the, on this higher place. And they, go to, and they come back in the morning and their God fell over. If your God can fall over, that's not good. Amen? So their God fell over. So they propped him back up. They went back in the next day. He fell over again, but this time his head was smashed into pieces and his arms were broken into pieces. You can't, if your God can break into pieces, that's not good. Amen? 
And then what happened is all these plagues started coming upon the Philistines. It's in the Bible. They, they were covered in boils. And then they had uh, rats running rampant. And then, I, I hate to be blunt, but here it is. They, they had hemorrhoids. It's in the Bible, okay? And they're like, dude, we got to get that ark out of here. And so what did they do? They made gold they made golden rats and golden hemorrhoids and put them inside the ark and sent it away like to say to God, we know this came from you. We give. You win. And they took the ark and they put it on a cart with a couple of cows and they sent it away. That's what happened. Now, it ended up in Kirjath-Jerim, which is going to see and there it resided for 20 years before Saul became in power, and then after Saul became in power. So he had been sitting in this, in this uh, town, in somebody's home, for all those years. Why? People weren't looking for it. And what does David say? Let's get all the people here, and let's go get the ark. Because we want to reestablish worship again. We want to give God his rightful place again. We don't want God to be an afterthought. We want him to be the primary focus of us as a nation. Guys, that's a, that's a word for every one of us here tonight. Amen? It's not for God to be part of our life for an hour a week. It's not some side thing about who we are. It's, he's either on the throne of your life or he's not. Amen? He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so he calls, let's go get the ark. Let's go get it. Let's bring it back. It reminds me again when they had lost the word of God, remember? And Josiah reestablished the teaching of God's word. So he wants to go get the ark. He wants to bring it back and put it back in its rightful place and make sure that God's a priority. See, I love this about King David. The first decision he's making as king isn't about roads or highways. It's not about a bigger temple for him, or a big palace for him. It's not about any, you know what it's about? His first decision is, let's bring the people together and let's put God back in the place where he belongs. Amen? And you know what? That may be a word for some of us tonight. So Israel had been in a tough spot battling the Philistines. And again, they thought they could manipulate God. That didn't work out. We even, you know, remember both the boys, those boys that took the ark out into the battle both died. And then when Eli was told that his sons died, he fell backwards in his chair and fell down and he died. And so they may have been able to defeat some disobedient children, but they were not going to be able to defeat the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the, the ark had been sent away. It's been resting away. The people haven't even thought about it, no doubt. And David said, let's go get it. Let's bring it back to Jerusalem. Verse four. Then all the assembly said that they would do so for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. It's pretty amazing when you can get all the people to agree on anything. I, I, think it would be, I don't think we could get the United States to agree that the sky's blue. <laughs> we can't get them to agree that one plus one is two. That doesn't work. Or there's male and female. You know, right? I mean, it's such a mess. Simple truths. So it was right with the people. They all agreed that bringing the ark home was a good thing. The making God the central focus of Jerusalem was a good thing. Verse 5. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihar in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. So this is, Shihar is the furthest part south. 
And Hamath was the furthest part north. And so what they're doing is taking all of God's people and bringing them all together from all the faraway land. And there they're going to gather together. And then they're going to go and they're going to get the ark. And they're going to bring the ark back to Jerusalem where it belongs. And it's a pretty awesome thing. Look at verse 6. And David and all Israel went up to Balah to Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, and the Lord who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So they all go together. Again, the, he dwells between the cherubim. That's the two angels that are on the side. And again, it's a picture of where God dwelt. Now watch, this is great. Okay, first good decision. Everybody agrees. God's going to be on the throne again. We want to give him his rightful place. We're not battling or fighting amongst ourselves anymore. The kingdom's not torn into pieces. We're all together in this. Let's go get the ark. Let's bring it back. Let's give God the praise, the glory, the honor, and the position that he deserves. So stay teachable is the first thing. He goes to godly counsel. He seeks godly counsel. He shares his heart with them. They all agree. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. Now they're going to move forward. Point number two, do the right things the right way. Look what happens, verse seven. So they carried the ark of God on a what? On a what? On a what? A new cart. It's in the Bible right in front of you guys. It's right there. Not a trick question. On a new cart. Now remember that when God gave directions for building the ark, it had rings on each side. And on those sides, they would slide poles through and they would be carried on the shoulder. They would carry the ark and they never were to touch the ark. So they picked it up with the poles. They never touched it and they carried it. Why is that? Because the gospel is supposed to come through men not through mechanisms, amen? Not because of a cart, not because of some new invention. God says, you're gonna carry the word of God and you're gonna deliver it to people. That's what we're called to do. God has given the gospel to us. It's amazing that God would give the gospel to us. Could God just open up heaven and just share the gospel with everyone? He could just open up heaven and go, get saved, right? Get right, get right or get left. Prayers stay, you know, what are you going to do? And he can just open up heaven. You know what he chooses to do? He chooses to use you and me. And that's an awesome thing. And I want to say this, this is tragic. If you ask most Christians, now we can't save anybody. Only God can save anybody. Amen. But he chooses to use us to share the message. But here's the sad part. There are people who have been Christians for 50 years who've never shared their faith once. Now that is, to me, that's not only tragic, it's selfish. Because the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And as believers, the most selfish thing we can do is keep the truth to ourselves. It's like if everybody has cancer, we have the antidote and we don't tell anybody. Amen? Well, it's kind of hard to tell people. I get it. But if God calls you to do it, will God equip you to do it? Will he give you the strength to do it? He will. Pray for divine appointments. Pray for opportunities to share your faith. Look, it has nothing to do with me, but I share my faith pretty much every day because I pray every day. Give me an opportunity to share my faith today. And you know what? He does. And so look for opportunities to share. So they put the ark on a new cart. So here's what they're doing. They're doing a good thing, but they're doing it the wrong way. Amen? It's bringing the ark back to Jerusalem a good thing. What's the answer? 
Absolutely. Putting God back as the focus for Israel, is that a good thing? Yeah. But they put it on a cart. And God had commanded them not to do it that way. You might say, well, I think a cart's better than poles. What you think or feel is irrelevant. What does God say? Amen? Amen? Carts are easier. You know when they learned to use a cart? Who used a cart? Philistines. See, what happened when the Philistines had hemorrhoids and got rid of that thing, they put it on a cart. And they stuck some cows in front of it and sent it on its way. And it came marching into Kirjath Jerem on the back of a cart. So what did they do? They didn't follow God's word. They followed the world's example. And guys, we don't want to follow the world's example. We want to follow the word of God. Amen? You know why so much of the church is compromised today? We're trying to be like the world. I've had pastors tell me, Pastor, we need to be more like the world. No, we don't. We need to be far less like the world and a lot more like Jesus. Amen? They were not attracted to Jesus because he was just like them. They were attracted to Jesus because he was nothing like them. Amen? Follow God's commands, not the world's example. So they're transporting the ark on the cart was against God's command. The ark was designed to be carried in Ephesians 25 and Numbers 4. Carried, and it was, by the way, it was only to be carried by the Levites and only by the family of Kohath. So this was their job. Whenever the tabernacle would move, or the te- you know, when the, the tabernacle was moved, what would happen is the, the Levites, one of the 12 tribes, their job was to care for the tabernacle. Some of them carried the, the poles and the, the linens, and the, some carried the furnishings, and, and so each of them had a job. And so there were specific people that were to carry that piece. And they instead put it on a cart because they were following the example of the world instead of following in faithful obedience to the Lord. It was God's presence. God's word was to be brought forth by godly men, not by worldly inventions. The long neglect of the ark may have rendered these men unfamiliar and very, these very explicit commands concerning the method. See, they may have not even known any different. You know why they didn't know any different? They didn't read the Bible. Amen? It was written down for them. This is why we have problems in our country today and in the world today. There are too many people that call themselves Christians that are biblically illiterate. Well, I just don't, I just think that this, well, the Bible doesn't say that. Well, yes, the reason they don't know is they don't read it. Open it, read it, obey it. Amen. The long neglected ark, again, had been for a hundred years out of commission, so they may have not known how to move it. Well, they didn't know because they weren't spending time in the Word. I find it interesting that an ark is made with big wheels and boards. And I think a lot of churches are falling apart because they're led by big wheels and boards. (laughs) Amen. Instead of resting upon the Lord, they got people that give a lot, that have a lot of influence, and they got a board for every other board and the board of the committee of the other board and the other committee. And you know what? We need to not worry about what boards think or what big wheels think, but what does the Word of God say? And we need to follow Him with reckless abandon, even if nobody else will. Anytime a church comes under the influence of big wheels and boards, and they neglect the Word of God, there's trouble. I was watching... Anybody ever seen The Missing Link? It's a quiz show. Or The Weakest Link. 
And I was watching it last night. I don't know why. I was flipping through channels. And they get to this lady and they go, what? they're asking, what do you do for a living? And she said, I'm a pastor. I already said, okay. Well, she's not reading her Bible, but okay. <laughs> and then, he, then she says, why are you a pastor? She said, because all my other jobs were crummy. I was like, wow. Guys, I didn't become a pastor because all my other jobs were crummy. I became a pastor because Almighty God called me to do it. Amen. Amen. And we don't want anybody doing anything in the church that God didn't call them to do, because if they do, they're doing it in their own strength, and it's a waste of time. Amen? And so, faithful obedience to the Word of God. Now, watch what it says. So they carried the Ark of God in the new cart from the house of Abinadab, that's where it had been hanging, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. So these guys were Levites, and they were of the right family, but they were doing it the wrong way. And so again, we want to obey God. We want to do what he wants us to do. And we want to do it in the way he wants us to do it. Why? Because God's smarter than we are. God knows what is best. God isn't just concerned with that we do the right thing, but with how we do it. And not only how we do it, but why we do it. Why do we serve? If you're serving so people will praise you, stop. If you're serving because you want the accolades of men, stop. We should be serving because we love the Lord and we love his people. Amen? It's because we love God and we love people. That's why we serve the Lord. Paul wrote this. If you could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I, if I knew the mysteries of the future and knew everything about everything but didn't love others, what good would it be? And if I have the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move without love, I would be no good to anybody. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. God is concerned that all we do is done in love. Can I give you an, a, a word of encouragement? So there was a group here from Calvary Oxnard on Sunday, and we went to Grief Share after my son went to heaven. My wife and I went 14 weeks to this thing called Grief Share, and some of them were a part of that group. And then we all went to lunch afterward, and the, here's what I heard. That is the most loving church I've ever been to in my life. Guys, they shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen. And by the way, you come twice, I'm hugging you. You came once, you didn't know. Second time, you're getting one, whether you want it or not. Amen? Why? Because Jesus would hug you. Amen? We, we should be loving. So it's not just proclaiming the truth. We need to do that, but we need to do it in love. That's what Jesus did. Greater love hath no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. It says in Proverbs 12, there's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's not just what we say, but it's how we say it that counts. Again, things that move the church forward is having Jesus at the head of the church, the Holy Spirit leading us, and the Word of God being the standard. So they're moving it. Notice what it says. Then David and all of Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. Well, there's some denominations don't believe in musical instruments and worship. They better read that verse. <laughs> Amen? When you read the, the companion text, it says there's 30,000 people in the square. So what's happening is the ark is, being, is on the cart leading the way to Jerusalem. 
from Kirjath Jerem. Behind them are 30,000 people headed with the ark to Jerusalem, and they're all singing praise songs. They're all worshiping the Lord. They're all crying out to God. What a joyous moment that's about to come to a very abrupt stop. Because the worship was right. Praising God is always right. Playing instruments for the Lord is always good. Singing praise songs from your heart is a wonderful thing. But leading the way was them with the ark, but moving it the wrong way, contrary to the way the Lord told them to move it. And guess what? It's all about to come to a screeching halt. So they're all worshiping, they're rejoicing, they're welcoming God's presence and the key to worship. By the way, the key to worship isn't how it makes you feel, is it how does it please God? Amen? I don't know if I've ever shared this with you before. You know what I think about when I'm here? The number one thing I think about when I'm here is God pleased by what's happening here right now. Amen? Because if he's not pleased, this is a waste of time. Amen? We want to make sure God is being glorified. His name is being lifted up. You know, you can have a great experience and we could put on a big show, but if the focus is on how you feel, if the focus is on, on how gifted somebody is or how great the show is that you just witnessed, if you walk out of here thinking about, about you know, the, the fog machine and, the, uh, and you know, whatever the other entertainment was and you forget about Jesus, I shared this with you guys before, it's been years though, a friend of mine went to Biola and he said when he was at Biola, they always got the best speakers that would come in and do chapel. And one time this man came and he, he gave such great illustrations that they all went back to their dorm and said, man, that guy gives great illustrations. Then the next guy came and he, he talked a lot about the Greek and the Hebrew. And they went back to their, to their dorm and said, man, that guy knows Greek and Hebrew. Then, they went, then another guy came in and he had an evangelistic heart. And they said, boy, that guy knows how to evangelize. Then Pastor Chuck came and taught on the love of God. And they all went back to their dorm and talked about the love of God. See, guys, we don't want to leave them with thinking that we're anything. We want them to know who our God is. Amen? And so here they are worshiping. And this is a beautiful sight. But in God's eyes, they've missed it. They're acting contrary to his will. Look at verse 10. Respect the holiness of God. Then the anger of the Lord Oh, I did, wait, I got to do nine. I skipped over nine. That's kind of an important verse. Look what it says. And when they came to Shidon's threshing floor, so they're going along and now they're hitting a threshing floor and evidently the threshing floor, now threshing floor is where you separate the wheat from the chaff. And what they would do is they would come in with their crops and they would take it and it would winnow it up and it would go into the air and the, the heavier stuff would hit the ground and the lighter stuff would float down. And the heavier stuff was the stuff that they would, would separate the wheat from the chaff. But as he's going through this threshing floor, evidently it's got something wrong with it, it and it, it's going to take the wheels off a little bit and they're going to start to fall. And what's going to happen is the Ark of the Covenant is going to sliding off of the cart. This is another good reason to carry with poles. It doesn't slide off. Amen? So it's going to start sliding off and watch what happens. The ark of, the God, of God on the new cart, and it says there, verse 9, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. So the oxen trips, maybe puts his foot in a hole. The ark starts to fall, and no doubt Uzzah, he's a Levite. He doesn't want to see the ark break. 
That would, be, that would be gnarly, right? So he reaches out to touch it to stop it. And then we get to verse 10. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand out on the ark, and he what? He died. Dude, he was holding up some furniture and he died? No, he was touching God's glory, and he died. Amen? Do you know that nobody was to touch the ark? They were to put the poles through it and carry it. Why? Because it represented the presence of God. And we're not to touch the glory of God. Amen? And so as they're transporting it in the wrong way, it now starts to fall. Uzzah reaches out and touches it. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to bring an abrupt halt to 30,000 people sitting in worship. Because the guy that was in the front leading the way with the cart is now dropped dead in front of them. Can you imagine 30,000 people worshiping and all of a sudden... It got very quiet. And they're all trying to understand what happened. And because they haven't been in the church, they don't understand why it happened. And we're going to see that King David is going to get angry. So respect the holiness of God. We touch not anything that belongs to him. Never take credit for anything that the Lord does. Amen? We talked about this on Sunday. And it's the first time I've really thought about this. But... Why, was, why did Lucifer think he could overthrow God? Well, first of all, he's just stupid, but amen. Because anybody who thinks to overthrow God, stupid. But also really prideful. But why was he prideful? Well, the Bible tells us that he was the most beautiful of all the angels. Many people believe he was the worship leader in heaven and had the most beautiful voice. So because he was the most beautiful of all the angels because he probably had the most beautiful voice of all the angels because he was in a position of authority among the angels. He got full of himself and thought he could overthrow God. Guys, if God has given you any gift, you glorify God. You don't think that you're anywhere close to being God. Amen. See, Lucifer got caught up in his press clippings. He had 500,000 followers on TikTok or something, right? He's this guy that thinks he's something, but here's the reality. We're only anything because of what God does. So if, if you have the most beautiful voice on the planet, then God gets the glory. If you're the most gifted person at whatever you do, God gets the glory. If there's a lot of money in your bank account, God gets the glory. Amen? But sadly, this is what happens when we lose sight we need to respect the holiness of God and give him all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Respect God's holiness, making decisions and making mistakes. If we don't respect his holiness, we're making a big mistake. The Levite was actually in a no-win situation because it all started the wrong way. He did not know what the word of God said. Again, Nadab and Abihu did the same. They rushed into the Holy of Holies to offer some kind of unprescribed incense. They were killed instantly. Again, we down here on earth really have no idea what it is to be holy. It's getting so bad that people now even have the gall to say that man is basically good. Let me clue you in. Man is not basically good. Man is evil. Amen? We're all sinners saved by grace. The difference between us and God is he's holy and we're not apart from him. Now, once we give our lives to him, are we holy then? What's the answer? Yes. We are. And he calls us to be holy and we, we need to pursue holiness because now that we're born again, he's given us the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to live holy lives. Now, we'll never be sinless till we get to heaven, but we should sin less. Amen? And it should be reflected in our lifestyle. 
Jesus told a story about, about this. Again, too often I think we think we're at a fashion show and we want everybody else to look at us and how amazing we are and we want the focus to be on us. And I think one of the biggest problems in the world today, especially in the church, is selfishness. We think about ourselves way too much. Am I the only one? You know, my three favorite people, me, myself, and I, you've heard me say that. I mean, we, we, we struggle with that, and we're so selfish sometimes. And you know why we don't share our faith? Because we're selfish. You know why? Because, well, they might not like me if I say it, or they might think I'm a Jesus freak, or I won't have to be able to answer their questions, or I'm not that gifted, or how am I going to do this? Guys, if it's not about you and it's about him, you'll share your faith every time. Amen? Now, we all fall short. We all have moments. God's going to have a wedding feast one day. And you'll have to be dressed appropriately to get in the door. You can see that in Matthew 22, verses 2 through 14. A certain king made a marriage for his son. He sent out servants to call them, and people were too busy and didn't want to come. And, and you know what? It's not because we have good works, but we're clothed in his righteousness. And because of that, we can enter into his presence. We're either clothed in righteousness or we're clothed in the filthy rags of our sin. So we see here point number uh, Four there, don't be angry at what you don't understand. So he says, respect holiness, but don't be angry at what we don't understand. Look at verse 11. And David became angry because, that's right. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. That means against Uzzah. Now, he was angry with the Lord because he didn't understand why God would strike him down. But if he had been reading the word, if he knew what the word of God commanded, he would not have been surprised that when they disobeyed the word of God, acted contrary to the word of God, that now the consequences came. You've heard me say it, fellowship, rebellion, choose one. Amen? You cannot walk in open rebellion against God and be in fellowship with God at the same time. I'm not saying you can't sin. We do sin. But the difference is when we sin, if we're walking in fellowship with God, we're grieved. We're driven to our knees. We'll keep short accounts with God. I mean, what I mean by that is if, if I say something that wasn't nice to my wife or a coworker or whatever, I'm immediately convicted. And I'm immediately asking God to forgive me. I know that I'm born again. I know that I'm going to heaven. I didn't lose my salvation. That's not possible. But it keeps, I keep short accounts with God. And you've heard me say it, that I believe the distance in time between when you sin and you repent, when you repent, the more spiritually mature you are, the shorter and shorter that time gets. It'll go from days to hours to minutes to seconds. Amen? And so his anger was rooted in confusion. He didn't understand. Why would, why would God do that? Dude, we had 30,000 people singing praise songs. We, all, we got godly counsel to go and get the ark. You should have godly counsel on how to bring it. But you didn't. It's one area where they did not hear from the Lord. And they followed the example of the Philistines. He wouldn't understand why his good intentions weren't enough. God is concerned with both our intentions and our actions and the highest form of worship is obedience. David was angry at God for Uzziah dying, yet David actually owned part of the blame because he has been moving the part, he had them moving the ark improperly. 
It says, he that answers the matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame unto him. Look at verse 12. Walk in faithful obedience, not fearful rebellion. So he doesn't understand, so he's mad at God and he gets angry. Let's be, let's be transparent. Who here has ever done that in your life? You didn't understand why it happened, and so you got angry. You know, we all grieve different. But when I was in that grief share, I would say two-thirds of the people had at least a period of time where they were angry. Now, by the grace of God, I'm not the hero of any, of the, any story. I didn't get angry. I'm just heartbroken. I'm heartbroken because I miss my son. Man, I love him. But at the same time, we have the promise of eternal life. And the more, the more that I focus on that, my son didn't die. He just got to go to paradise before me. Amen? And heaven's better. And we can praise God for that. If you have an eternal perspective, death has no sting. Amen? That only happens, though, that when we put our faith in the Lord. And I want you to know that no suffering is wasted and no trial is wasted. See, they're going to go through difficulty right here, but God will use this because David's going to make a lot more decisions. This is just decision number one as king. This is first one. And his first one looked really good until they realized they didn't honor the word of God and they did not transport the ark the way it was supposed to be transported and somebody died because of it. Now, do you think that when he's making his next decision, he might think, I wonder what the word of God says about this? Because we didn't look last time and Uzzah's dead, amen? See, what happens is when we make the horrible decisions that, that no suffering is wasted when, when we choose to go our own way and the consequences come, hopefully that causes us to grow next time. So we'll go, you know what? The Lord gave us his word. I disobeyed it. He was trying to keep me from driving off a cliff. I drove off the cliff. I'm going to take another trip. I need to find out what the guardrails are. Amen? I need to find out if I've heard from the Lord. I hear this often. Here's where I hear it a lot. People who get married to an unbeliever and then they'll come back later and go, Oh man, I learned a lesson. You know, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Amen. But you know what happens? They're like, I want to tell everybody, honor the Lord. Now, let me just say this. I know people are unequally yoked and then the other person gets saved and God can do that. Amen. And we want to pray for that. And you stay and you pray. Don't work it out. Don't bail out, work it out. Amen. Stay and, and pray for the other person's salvation. But the point is, it's so much better just to honor God to begin with. It's so much better to obey the Lord. Now watch what it says. So David's going to go from anger to another, a different, uh, yeah, fear. Look what it says. David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? Well, so he was angry first, and then he starts to think, well, dude, what am I going to do with the ark now? Who wants to be in charge of, of, of uh, leading the, the uh cart after that. Hey, Uzzah's dead. Dude, you come on up. And, dude, I'm out. I'm not. I'm good. You know what? David is angry because he still doesn't understand God's way. He understands what, what is not God's way, but he doesn't know what is God's way. And I think sometimes we know what isn't God's way, but we need to know what God's word says. 30,000 people singing and rejoicing, dead silence. By the way, they walk another 10 miles and, I don't, and all the singing stops. 
David had 33 years of decisions in front of him, decisions that will impact God's people. And God steps in here at the very beginning of David's reign. He drives the point home to David. Obedience is required for God's blessing. In fellowship or rebellion, choose one. Point number six, don't let difficult times drive you away from the Lord. Look at verse 13. So he's like, how can I bring the ark? I don't even know what I I'm at a loss for words. By the way, if you don't know what to do, you know what to do. Amen? People say to me, well, I don't know what the Lord's telling me to do. What's the last thing he told you to do? Just keep doing that. And he, tell, he tells you the next thing to do. Amen? If he told you this is where you're called to be, you stay there until he tells you something different. So what's what happens here? It says, so David would not move the ark. Good call. With him into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, if you're Obed-Edom, and you know a guy just died moving the ark, and they bring the ark to your house. <laughs> hey, bro, we're just going to leave this in your living room. <laughs> don't touch it, though. I don't think that's a good idea, right? And he brings it into his house, and he puts it there. Now, the good news is, we're only afraid of it if we don't know what the Word of God tells us to do with it. Amen? But if we know what the Word of God says, we rejoice in it. See, that I'm doing, two, I'm doing a funeral on Saturday and a funeral on Sunday. And the one on Sunday, I never met the man, but his wife, he and his wife have been listening on the radio. They called me uh, yesterday. She said it was his dying wish that you'd do his funeral. I've never met him. No pressure there, by the way. I'm like, when is it? Sunday. Okay, what time? Three o'clock. Okay, I'll be I'll be there. If it said 10, I probably would have gone. But here's the point. Death has no sting because we know what the word of God says. We know it says to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. See, we can rejoice even in the midst of difficulty if we know what the Bible says. Amen? And we don't have to be afraid of anything if we know what the word of God says. We can trust the Lord. And so they bring the ark into his house. Now watch this. I love this. So don't let difficult times, we can get discouraged, but we need to keep pressing in. Again, it's the trials of life that make us grow the most. See, this was actually a growing opportunity for King David, amen? Yeah, I guarantee you he's going to be more careful. Now we know he's going to make some more mistakes. Look at verse 14. The ark of God remained in the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And notice what it says. And the Lord what? Blessed, Blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. See, the presence of God is wonderful when you obey him, and the presence of God is convicting when you don't. Amen? So when you have the presence of God in your home and you're obeying the Lord, it's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of great blessing. It ministers to you. But when you have the presence of God with you at the strip club, it's not good. Amen? Or in the middle of the argument, or when you're cheating on your, whatever it might be, and and praise God, for here's a, a man who understood how the ark was to be treated. It was in his home for three months. These guys were only walking behind it for a few hours. And here he is in his home, and it's a blessing to him because he knows how to care for what God has put into his hands. He knows how to treat what is a picture of the presence of Almighty God. And because he obeyed the Lord, he was blessed. The parallel passage in 2 Samuel says, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, Obed-Edom, the 
uh, Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and all of his household. So just how did God bless Obed-Edom? How, would, how could David tell that God had blessed him? Well, we know, again, that later on when we look at the story of Obed-Edom, it says, it, it gives his genealogy, and he has a, a very large family. And I believe part of God's blessing upon him was he made his family fruitful and multiplied. When God's word was obeyed and his holiness respected, blessings followed. God wanted the ark to be a blessing to Israel, not a curse. The curse didn't come from God's heart, but from man's disobedience. Let me say that one more time. The curse did not come from God's heart. It came from man's disobedience. God doesn't curse us. We curse ourselves by the choices that we make. Amen? And I'm not talking about curses like I'm just talking about we bring the consequences on ourselves. So God knows what's best. He writes it down for us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to understand it. He gives it to you in 500 different versions and a cover that'll match your purse. Amen. And he hands it to you. We have it. We open it. It's right there. We have the basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. We've got the roadmap for life. Here it is. Let me write it down. Let me hand it to you. Now I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so you understand it. I'll give you people in your life that can teach it to you. I'll give you a radio station where you can hear the word of God all day. I'll give you praise songs sung right out of this book. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here, here it is. Take it. Here it is. Okay, now. And then you mess up and go, why wasn't God helping me? He's been trying. Amen? He wrote it down for us. See, we don't deal with sin's consequences because of God. We deal with them because of our choices. Amen? Choose today whom you will serve. It's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It says there lastly, moreover, the sons of Obadiah were Shemaiah, the firstborn, Jezedad the second, Joah the third, Sekar the fourth, Nathaniel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, Pithel the eighth. Man, God blessed him. Blessed the man whose quiver is full, right, Joshua? <laughs> God blessed Obadiah with lots of kids. And I just wonder if some of that of me might have taken place while the, the Ark of the Covenant was in their home. Lord, Lord blesses us. He's a faithful God. Sometimes we can get a little frightened with the power of God. Sometimes we go through difficult times and we can think, if this is what I get for following the Lord, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this. I want to encourage you that Jesus said, the thief coming but to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that you might have life and life more abundant. Amen? Jesus came that you might have a joyful life here and heaven to follow. Doesn't mean that we're not going to go through trials because the Bible does say in this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So in closing, making decisions and making mistakes. Number one, stay teachable. We all, we all need to grow spiritually. Amen? We all, there, we all need to understand God's word even more. We all need to, to grow in our relationship with him. Number two, do the right thing the right way. You don't want to be uh, when you share your faith, don't be an arrogant jerk. Be kind and loving and gracious. Amen? We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Be kind. Not only obey God, but do it with the right heart. Number three, respect the holiness of God. We should be in awe of Almighty God. Amen? You know, how, one of the things that really breaks my heart, and, and my older brother who just went to heaven, along with my son dying, my older brother died a few weeks ago, and my mom earlier this year. So it's been a lot, I got a lot more family in heaven. But one of the things my brother did, when I, one of the last conversations I had with him, he said, yeah, he, he talked this way, yeah, Dave, I had to kick my roommate out. I go, what happened? He goes, he kept taking Jesus' name in vain. And I told him, I don't like that. 
And he said, it hurts my heart when you do it. Stop it. And he kept doing it. So I put his stuff on the porch. Okay. <laughs> Amen. But the point I'm making is that if we revere the holiness of God, we're not going to use his name as a cuss word. Amen. And when we speak his name, do you know how much they revered his name when they wrote the Old Testament? Do you know that they would wash, they would cleanse their entire bodies between every letter when they were writing the name of God? They would write one letter and they would go through a whole cleansing ritual, come back, write the next letter, go back. Why? Because they had reverence for God. We need to have reverence for God. Amen. Also, don't be angry at what you don't understand. If you don't understand, here, here's the reality. Are there going to be times you don't understand? What's the answer? You know why? Because he's God and you're not. And we're all idiots compared to God. Amen. So we're going to have times we don't understand, but you know what we can do? We can understand who God is and we can trust his character. Uh, walk in faithful obedience, not fearful rebellion. Don't let difficult times drive you away from the Lord. May you run to him. When you're hurting, run to God. Don't run from him. And then finally, let God bless you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your love and your grace. Help us as we walk through this life, as we have to make decisions, that we would never make them based on our own wisdom. But Lord, we would seek wisdom that only comes from above that we would seek godly counsel, that, Lord, we would desire to walk in the center of your will, that we would seek your face. Lord, when we go through trials, may we not get angry with you. May we not run from you, but may we run to you. May we not operate in anger or fear, but may we walk by faith. And Lord, we just thank you for the love and the grace and the mercy you've poured out upon us, for the privilege of being your children. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said,